Hosea chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, is our passage this evening. Hosea 2, 8 through 10. The Word of God says this, For she does not know that it was I who gave her the grain, and the new wine, and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Therefore I will take back my grain at harvest time, and my new wine in its season. I will also take away my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. And then I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her out of my hand. Amen. Here in Hosea, we have um, a proclamation of judgment on the nation of Israel for their sins. This is a common theme in Scripture to declare the sins of the sinner in order to vindicate God's judgment and for the repentance of the righteous. God created us for his glory and for us to know him. Throughout Scripture, he reveals who he is in various uh, situations, yet he remains the same yesterday, today, and forever. In this passage, we have a very important truth, that God is the source of all of our blessings, both physical and spiritual. And because of this, we should be eternally grateful. Gratitude and thanksgiving is necessary, and it's the result of a redeemed heart. If we're going to be to claim to be redeemed, then we must have thanksgiving and give honor to God. When we are ungrateful, ungrateful to the one who gave us everything, it shows that we are forgetting and denying this truth, denying God who gave us everything. Uh, so first, let's remind ourselves of this with uh, two passages, one in the old and one in the new, that God is the one who gave us all things. Uh, first, Psalm 24. Psalm 24. We know that God created everything. He's the maker of heaven and earth. And that is an important truth that we must remember. And it's the wicked who do not remember that and sin because of it. Psalm 24, verse 1, a psalm of David. It says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. God is the one who made the earth, and so it belongs to him. Everything that the earth contains, all of the trees and the beasts of the field and all of the people as well, the world and those who dwell in it. Everyone in the world belongs to God and God alone because he is their creator. Because he's the one who created all things, he is the source of our blessings. And this is something that we all must recognize. And then let's go to the New Testament in Revelation 4. Revelation chapter 4, that this is not just an Old Testament doctrine, but this is for everyone, for all people to know uh, from the beginning of time to the end. Um, In Revelation chapter 4, we have a vision of heaven uh, that, that Christ gave to John, and he sees the throne and God seated on the throne. And who is around the throne but uh, living creatures and angels and men who give glory uh, to God because he's the creator of all things. He's the source of our blessings. Revelation 4, <clears throat> verse 8. Revelation 4, 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns 
before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. It says in verse 9 that they, the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne. And the 24 elders do the same thing, and they explain why, why they do these things, why they give thanks and glory to God. Because they say in verse 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. He is worthy to receive all these things because he is the creator. He brought everything into existence by his own will. He did not use the will of another or the work of another. He did not create them create anything out of uh, things that are already made. He created everything out of nothing, out of his own will, for his own purposes. And so he is the creator worthy of worship. And so returning to Hosea 2, this is the truth that we must remember, that God um, created us and has given us everything. But we find in Hosea 2, verse 8, uh, the sin of the people of Israel and the sin that we must be aware of. It says in Hosea 2, 8, For she does not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the new wine and the oil, and lavished on her silver and gold. It says she does not know. She does not know that it was God who gave her the grain and the new wine and the oil. Why doesn't she know? Is it true that she has no knowledge, that she doesn't know that God is the one who brought her up from her youth and betrothed himself to her and gave her the land flowing with milk and honey? She knows all these things, so why does he say she does not know? She does not know because of her love for the world, her love for worldly things, her love for the worldly things instead of God and in spite of God. And so because of that love, that selfish love, it has blinded her and caused her to not recognize the hand who has given her everything. How else could it be possible that a wife who was loved, with, um, who was loved by a perfect husband, how could she forget her husband? She, God is her maker and sustainer, so she does know, but because of her sin, she is rebellious. She said in verse 5, um, in Hosea 2 verse 5, she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. She's rejecting that God is the one who gave her these things, even though she does know that he did, and she's ascribing it to other people, saying that false gods gave her these things. So she has become stupid because of her sin. But we must know that, <clears throat> that God is no miser. God is the one who gives all of these blessings. He gave grain, things that we need for our sustenance, and wine, new wine and oil, things that are prosperous for our prosperity. And he lavished on her silver and gold. He lavished silver and gold on her. It wasn't a meager amount. It wasn't a small amount, but it was a full amount. It's similar to the Garden of Eden in, in Genesis uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3, that God put Adam in the garden, a habitable place, a prosperous place, full of life. And he said to Adam that from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, except for the one forbidden tree. And he gave them, um, in the garden, he gave them rivers full of water and gold as well. But what did Satan do with his lies? He said, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? He puts forth the lie that God is being stingy with them, that God is not providing for their needs. But God is doing much more than providing for their needs. He's providing prosperity to them. 
And so it's their wickedness that their prosperity turns into a curse that blinds them from recognizing God and their need of God. Let's turn to a couple passages that, that see this and describe this. Uh, first in Hosea, later on in chapter 13, in chapter 13, we have <clears throat> the same thing being stated. God explaining why Israel does not know her maker. Hosea 13, verse 4. Hosea 13, 4. Yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you are not to know any God except me. For there is no Savior besides me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied. And being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. God was their God, the Lord their God, since the land of Egypt. And they were not to know any God except him, because he is the one who provided for them. He was their Savior, who brought them up from Egypt. He cared for them in the wilderness, a land of drought, a land of meager rations, but God provided for them abundantly. But as soon as they were put into the land and they had their pasture, their, their good things, their blessings, their wine and their oil, they became satisfied. They were um, content with the, or not content, but they were um, satisfied with their blessings, their material blessings, instead of serving the God who gave them their material blessings. And after being satisfied, their heart became proud. They thought that they had um, obtained these blessings for themselves. And once they did that, then they forgot, they forgot the Lord who gave them these things. We'll see that this happened very early on in the nation. In Judges chapter 2, in Judges chapter 2, uh, right after the conquest of Canaan and Joshua, we see early on in the very next generation, that the nation, the people, forgot their God and walked in the ways of false gods instead of the God who gave them everything. Judges chapter 2, verse 10, after the death of Joshua. Judges 2.10, All that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. Then the sons... Of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. In verse 10, <clears throat> the generation that, that passed away after um, the death of Joshua, they were gathered to their fathers, they died. And after them, the next generation, they did not know the Lord. But they surely knew the work that God had done for them, the work that God had done in conquering the land for them and in planting them in that land. But here it says they did not know the Lord, nor yet the work which he had done for Israel. They, didn't, they acted like they did not know him. By their actions and their sins, by going after Baal and other false gods, it showed that they were living a proud life and acting like they didn't know the Lord even though they, they did, and they were suppressing that truth. Now, for two references in the New Testament to show the same thing is true everywhere. Uh, Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Paul makes the same indictment on all 
people everywhere in all times who forget God and, and deny the truth of God. Romans chapter 1, in verse 18, God be, or Paul begins his um, accusation of the folly of, of man. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. In verse 18, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against ungodliness and unrighteousness. And their ungodliness and unrighteousness starts with suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. And what is that truth? The truth that God is the one who made them. That God has made evident to them that he created the world and his invisible attributes, all of his goodness and his um, provision for them, he made known to them, but they are suppressing that truth. It says in verse 21, even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. We are required to give thanks to the one who made us, but they did not do this. And so what happened? They became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened, exchanging the glory of God for creatures instead. <clears throat> this is the sin of ingratitude of not being thankful to the God who gives us life, breath, and all things. It, be, it makes us fools, and it give, makes us give glory to creatures and trust in creatures instead of um, the infinite God. Skipping ahead to 1 Corinthians 4. 1 Corinthians 4. Paul applies this to each and every one of us, that we should all be thinking about God who gives us everything, our, our physical blessings and our spiritual blessings. Even our very will to, to serve him comes from him. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for, our, for your sakes, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one, against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? <clears throat> they think that they are superior. They have become proud and arrogant, just like the Israelites. And in pride and arrogance, we forget God. And so Paul um, confronts them and shows them that everything that they have, the word of God, their understanding of who God is, the, the new life they have because they've received it from God, not from their own will, not from their own works, not from even another man, but from God himself. That's who the one that has given it to them. 
Let's return uh, to Hosea 2. Hosea 2 and finishing verse 8. After God shows that he's the one who gave her all of these blessings and lavished on her these um, prosperities, it says, which they used for Baal. So all of the blessings that God gave them, they are to use for God's glory, but instead, what do they do? They use for Baal, a false god, a god um, that is nothing, a vain idol. The nation of Israel served Baal, as we saw earlier in Judges chapter 2. Um, but we also remember that the house of Ahab served Baal much, and we also remember the test on Mount Carmel with Elijah in 1 Kings 18, that Israel went after the Baals. But if God gives us all things, we should honor him with everything. We cannot serve God for the purpose of gaining material blessings only, but that is what people do. That is what we are tempted to do, and that is what we do when we sin. Whenever we do that, we are committing idolatry. We may not be bowing down before an idol made of wood or stone or gold, but we covet wood. We steal stone and we lust after gold in this life. And this is idolatry also. Idolatry is any form of false worship, whether it is for a false god or to the true god um, in pretense, as if we're pretending to worship the true god, but really we're worshiping other things. But all falsely promises prosperity. Our idols falsely promise prosperity. But our idols do not forbid our sins. And so we worship a God of our own making who approves of our sin. And that is the sin of idolatry. <clears throat> of idolatry. We worry about things in this world. We worry about tithing, not seeking first God's kingdom or believing that God knows our needs before we ask so that we can give freely and joyfully. We are slow to give up a sin, a fleshly and earthly a sin or some entertainment or comfort because we lack faith that God's labor is worth um, the sacrificing of these things. And this all comes from ingratitude, from ingratitude to the God who gave us everything. And it leads us to further sin of forgetting God and serving idols who can do nothing for us. Let's turn to 1 Samuel 15 um, to show that when we sin, we are committing idolatry. 1 Samuel 15, after Saul um, at first does what God is asking him to do, he then disobeys God, and Samuel confronts him on this and shows him that when he disobeys God, he is committing idolatry. 1 Samuel 15, 1 Samuel 15, verse 22 After Saul kept Agag alive and left some of the spoil of his campaign, he said that he was doing it for the Lord, but Samuel confronted him in verse 22. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination. And insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Rebellion is the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. When we disobey God, not doing what he commands us, we are committing idolatry and serving a false god. Some examples in the New Testament that 
This is true for us as well. Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3, Paul shows us that when we um, have these vices that we do not put to death, then we are committing idolatry. Um, Ephesians 5, verse 3, after Paul um, exhorts us to be imitators of God, he tells us what to put away in verse 3. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Immorality, impurity, greed, filthiness, silly talk, coarse jesting, all of these things are opposed to giving of thanks to God. And we have to know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or a covetous man can inherit the kingdom of Christ and God because he is an idolater. He is committing idolatry, not worshiping the God who made him, but worshiping falsely. He says the same thing in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, he exhorts us to do the same, to, to seek after God and to put away our sins. Colossians 3, verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. All of the sins of our flesh are amounting to idolatry. When we serve them, we serve our own pleasures. Our God is our belly instead of the God who gave us and made us, um, who gave us everything and made us. And so when we do these things, it is amounting to idolatry and is worthy of death. Let's go back to Hosea chapter 2, verse 9, and we'll see God's judgment for this sin. Hosea 2.9 Therefore I will take back my grain at harvest time and my new wine in its season. I will also take away my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. We saw in verse 5 that they said that they were um, to go after her lovers and so who give me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. But here God says, I will take back my grain my new wine, and my wool, my wool and my flax. He shows clearly that this, these things belong to God. All those blessings belong to him. If we have a creditor who loans out money, he expects a payment in return. If the return doesn't come, he goes and he takes it when it is most valuable to him, which often leaves the debtor with the greatest loss. And this is exactly what we have here. God has loaned these things out to them, and now he's expecting it back. God lets Israel think that they are full with feasting and with harvest because he says, therefore, I will take back my grain at harvest time. Harvest time is a time of of feasting and joy. And he says, and my new wine in its season. All of these things are when people have the most joy, but this is exactly when God takes back what is his. When they think they are full and when they are feasting, that is when God removes it from them. When they are the most secure He shows that they are nothing without him. 
And this is like Belshazzar in Daniel 5, when he is making a feast, then God brings his judgment upon him and his life is taken that night and his kingdom is taken away from him. And this is only just because not only did they not give thanks to God for the blessings he gave, but they attributed it, uh, attributed these blessings to false gods, to Baal, who are nothing and can do nothing. It is a very high-handed and wicked sin, a reproach on the living God who gave them these things. When we use God's blessings for our own pleasures, it is using it for Baal, with no thanks to God. And this is theft. We are stealing from God. When a robber comes and takes what is precious to us, we take back what belongs to us with fervor and force and violence. What if someone stole our wives or our children and tried to take our very life? These are things that we hold precious and we would fight our life with our life for them. How much more valuable is the eternal giver of life, the God who gave us everything? We are of such little faith when we sin and show no gratitude to God. When God takes away physical blessings, especially uh, for the judgment of our sin, we must repent and we must have an eye not to the physical blessing. We must not look for the grain and the new wine and the wool, but we must look to the blessed one, the one who gave us the grain and the new wine and the oil. He is the fountain of all good things. It is completely and only just for God to take back what came from him in the, in the first place in order to vindicate himself. When God takes back his blessing from the thieves of his infinite glory, he has no need of the grain or wine. He doesn't need this grain or this wine. He doesn't need wool to cover himself or flax to make linen. He doesn't need wine to drink or grain to feed himself. He is the one who gives all things from his own will. He is taking back his glory. His glory is the most precious thing. There's nothing more precious to us than the glory of the infinite God, the one who deserves all honor and praise. That is the most valuable thing. That is what we should be seeking after. And this is what God is taking back. He's not taking back grain for himself. He's taking back his glory, the praise that is due to his name. Let's turn to a couple texts to show that this is what God does. But first, a text that shows that God is infinitely valuable. Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians 3, Paul is declaring that he has no good in himself in the flesh, that everything he has according to the flesh is worth nothing compared to knowing God. And he denounces all of the fleshly things and advancements that he had. In Philippians 3, verse 7, he shows us that Christ is what is of surpassing value, not anything on this earth. Philippians 3, 7 but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In verse 7, he says, Whatever things were gained to me, anything on this earth, our pedigree, anything from the flesh that we like to boast in, he says, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss. Nothing in this world is worth 
losing Christ. What will a man profit if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? The surpassing value, the infinite value, is knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. And he is worth suffering the loss of all things in order that we may gain him. Now turn to Matthew chapter 13 to show that just as God will take away and take back his wine and his grain and all the things that belong to him that he gives, that he does this um, in our time as well. Matthew 13. Matthew 13, verse 10. Matthew 13, 10. And the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. In verse 12, he says, For whoever has to him more shall be given. The one who has the blessing, the spiritual blessing of God, the elect, the one who has the the spirit working within him, even more shall be given to him. And he will have an abundance. He will be full and complete. But whoever does not have the spirit in him, making him new, it says, even what he has shall be taken away from him. All of the physical blessings in this world are going to be taken away from those who do not belong to God, who do not honor God from their wealth. And God will take it away from them because their life is given to them from God himself, and he will take it back for his own glory. Let's turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 12. In another uh, parable in Luke 12, God shows the, the foolishness of building up riches in this life um, in, in spite of God and not giving thanks to God and not recognizing that God is the one who gave it to us and that God will require it at our hand. In Luke twelve thirteen, <clears throat> Luke twelve thirteen, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! This very night your soul is required of you, and now you will own. Now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. It says in verse 20, God calls him a fool, because that very night when he is building up his storehouses, when he is most secure in all of his prosperity, that very night his soul is required of him. And God takes it all back and glorifies himself with this judgment. And he does not own all these things that he prepared. He prepared all these things and he thought he owned them, but God is the one who truly owned them. Returning to Hosea, 
Hosea 2, 9, it says at the end, after God takes back his grain and his new wine and his wool and his flax, he says that it was all those things were given to cover her nakedness. 2, verse 9 at the end, given to cover her nakedness. God gives us provisions in this life in order to cover our shame. We know in Genesis 2.25 that the husband and the wife, the man and the wife, they were naked and they were not ashamed. But after sin entered the world, nakedness is shameful. When we are naked and exposed, we are ashamed of it. And because it is, it is a shame to be without covering, without provisions, we think it, it is shameful to be impoverished. But there's nothing more impoverishing than our sin and losing our life. And we do that by not giving gratitude to God. And so in Genesis 3, when God uh, clothed Adam and Eve, he was covering their shame with his grace. He, he graciously covered their shame and covered their nakedness. But this is what men do. They, they think that they are good. They think that they are fine and that they are not naked, not recognizing that it's God and his grace that's covering it and covering us, and that God can take that away if we do not recognize him. Uh, Returning to the New Testament in Acts chapter 17, we'll see that God uh, gave to the nations things to cover their nakedness, but they used it for shame instead of for his glory. Acts 17 Acts 17, 22, that are, we are naked, but when God gives us blessings to cover our nakedness, instead of giving honor to God, we use it to create more shame for ourselves. Acts 17, 22, <clears throat> um, we will start in verse 26, sorry, Acts 17, 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his children. Uh, It also says in verse 25 that he gives to all people life, breath, and all things, that when he created the nations on the earth, he gave them everything, And he determined their appointed times and their boundaries. And he gave them many blessings so that they would seek after God. But what did they do? Instead, they um, treated God as if he was um, made of gold and silver and stone and worshipped idols instead. As we saw in Romans 1, that they did not give glory to God, but gave glory to the creature instead. Um, Flipping over to Romans 6, to show that our sin is our shame that we should not return to, but that we should um, put to death. In Romans 6, uh, verse 20, Paul is um, exhorting us to live new lives in Christ because we have died with Christ and have been raised with him. And so in Romans 6, verse 20, uh, Paul says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
In verse 21, he says, What benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. Our sin results in death. It's something that is shameful, that we are to be ashamed of, and it's nakedness that we need covered, covered by the grace of Christ. And God gives us these things um, to cover our nakedness, but we must show gratitude to him. And if we do not show gratitude and honor God with these things that he gives us to cover us, then he will take it away and we will be exposed and judged. Returning to Hosea 2, verse 10, we see God's judgment uh, for this ingratitude, for these sins. In Hosea 2.10, he says, And then I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one will rescue her out of my hand. <clears throat> we have lewdness when we house idols in our hearts. Our idols are lewdness and spiritual harlotry. And our idols are our lovers. And this um, was Israel's lovers. They had lovers who were idols who they went after, but they were, they were nothing. And they pretended that they were the ones who gave them everything. We think that our false gods will deliver us from harm, but God is the judge and he will judge and reveal the truth and reveal lewdness um, by uncovering their nakedness. The judgment that God chooses to reveal um, that God chooses is the is to reveal the sin in the sight of those whom she lusted after. The very lovers that she went after, who she thought gave her everything, those are the ones that he uses to afflict her. God uses the blessings that we covet so much, and instead of God, he uses those blessings as a curse upon us and uh, to afflict us. And we see this clearly in Ezekiel 16. <clears throat> in Ezekiel 16, God shows that or declares and prophesies that the nation of Israel and Judah, that they would be um, taken away by their the nations they trusted in. In Ezekiel 16, God is pronouncing a judgment upon Judah for all of their, their harlotries, just like the northern kingdom of Israel did. Ezekiel 16, verse 26. Ezekiel 16, 26. You also played the harlot with the Egyptians, your lustful neighbors, and multiplied your harlotry to make me angry. Behold now, I have stretched out my hand against you and diminished your rations, and I delivered you up to the desire of those who hate you, the daughters of the Philistines, who are ashamed of your loot. Uh, moreover, you played the harlot with the Assyrians because you were not satisfied. You played the harlot with them and, were, and still were not satisfied. You also multiplied your harlotry with the land of merchants, Chaldea, yet even with this you were not satisfied." They went to the Egyptians, the Philistines, the Assyrians, and the Chaldeans. These were their lovers, and they were never satis satisfied with their harlotries, and they served their gods. And so what is God's punishment? In verse 35, God declares it. Ezekiel sixteen thirty-five. Therefore, O harlot, hear the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because your lewdness was poured out and your nakedness uncovered, uh, through your harlotries with your lovers and with all your detestable idols, and because of the blood of your sons which you gave to idols. Therefore, behold, I will gather all your lovers with whom you took pleasure, even all those whom you loved and all those whom you hated. So I will gather them against you from every direction and expose your nakedness to them, so that they may see all your nakedness. Thus I will judge you like women who commit adultery or shed blood are judged, and I will bring on you the blood of wrath and jealousy. 
I will also give you into the hands of your lovers, and they will tear down your shrines, demolish your high places, strip you of your clothing, take away your jewels, and will leave you naked and bare. They will incite a crowd against you, and they will stone you and cut you to pieces with their swords. They will burn your houses with fire and execute judgments on you in the sight of many women. Then I will stop you from playing the harlot, and you will also no longer pay your lovers. God uses their very lovers, the nations they trusted in, that they went to, to to think that they would deliver them from harm. God uses them to judge them and to afflict them. Because they trusted in them for their blessings, instead of God who gave them everything, God used them and and, um, executed his judgment upon them for it. And one verse from the New Testament to show that the same God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Luke chapter 19. In Luke 19, Christ weeps over Jerusalem and he pronounces the same judgment upon the nation of Israel and the Jews at his time. Luke 19, verse 41. When he, that is Christ, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. Christ, God incarnate, was visiting them. And instead of worshiping him and bowing down before him in thanksgiving, as some did, they rejected him. They, they murdered him. And at whose hands did they murder Christ? Was it not at the hands of the Romans? The Jews used the Romans to murder the Christ. And so what did God do? What did Christ do? Christ used the Romans to burn their city with fire and to leave not one stone left upon another for them. The very ones that they trusted in, the Romans, who destroyed the Christ, who, who killed the Christ, that is the ones that God used to destroy the Jews in their, um, as judgment for their sin. And lastly, in Hosea 2.10, we see the certainty of God's judgment. That this is God's judgment, that he will use um, our lovers if we have idols to afflict us then judgment is certain. In Hosea 2.10, it says, And no one will rescue her out of my hand. God's judgment is certain. It's as certain as God lives. Is God the everlasting God, the maker of heaven and earth, whose glory fills the whole earth? He is. He is the one who made all these things by his own hand and in the exercise of his will. If those things are certain, and they must be, that he made all things, then it is just as certain that God will judge the wicked in righteousness. Isaiah 42.8 says that God will not give his glory to another. God will not give, share his glory with another, and so he must judge the ungodly who steal his glory and do not give thanks to him. He judged Israel for not giving thanks to him and giving their, his glory to other, other false gods. He prophesied it, and it came to pass. He did the same with the Jews in Jesus' time. And we can know with certainty that God will judge the world in Christ because God has furnished proof in his word and by raising him from the dead, declaring to everyone that they should repent, as it says in Acts 17.
So God's judgment is certain. Let's go to a few texts to show that no one will rescue the wicked out of God's hand. In Psalm 75, Psalm 75, we have God's judgment declared. Psalm 75, verses 6 to 8. For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. For a cup is in the hand of the Lord, and the wine foams. It is well mixed, and he pours out of this. Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down its dregs. The cup in the hand of the Lord is the cup of his wrath. And it says in the end of verse 8, Surely all the wicked of the earth must drain and drink down its dregs. The dregs are at the bottom of the cup. They must drain it. They must drink it to the full. And it is sure and certain because God is the one who's doing it. Likewise, in the New Testament, God gives us a sure um, warning that he will judge all men for their ungodliness. Romans 2. In Romans 2, to show that God is not impartial, Paul brings this uh, truth to bear. Romans chapter 2, verse 3. But do you suppose this, O man, when you pass judgment on those who practice such things and do the same yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, to those who by perseverance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath, and indignation, there will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek." But glory and honor and peace to everyone who does good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. God, it says in verse 5, that he will judge the stubborn and the unrepentant because they are storing up wrath for themselves in the day of wrath. When we do not give thanks to God, we are being stubborn. And all that we are doing is storing up wrath. We are adding more wrath to the cup that we must drink. And because it is a righteous judgment of God, we know that it is certain and it will happen. He has promised us, as it says in verse 6, quoting Psalm 62, that he will render to each person according to his deeds. God will judge um, all men for for their sin. In Proverbs 3, Verses 5 to 10. We have all these warnings of God's judgment, but we also have God's promise if we repent of our ingratitude, if we repent of honoring ourselves and our bellies with the things that God gives us, and instead honor the Lord with everything that he gives us. Since he created all things, we must honor him and give glory to him. 
we must do these things. Uh, Proverbs 3, verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. If we trust in the Lord with all our heart and acknowledge him in all our ways, he makes our paths straight in verse 6. And in verse 9, it says, Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. If we devote everything that we have that God has given us to the Lord and glorify him with it, then God will give us blessings, primarily spiritual blessings, but even physical blessings as well. And so we must uh, hear his reproof and repent of our idols and give thanks to him and always have an attitude of thanksgiving um, at all times, knowing that he has given us all things. May the word of Christ richly dwell within us. Amen.